Well, good morning. It's great to see you here this morning. Um, if you have a Bible with you and you choose not to read from the screen today, uh, open it to the book of Hebrews. We are in chapter 3, and we're going to be looking at verses 7 through 19. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 19. And um, we are going to be talking about a very, 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 very important warning today. This uh, message this morning is all about a warning, but uh, maybe uh, you've run across some of the funny or some would say stupid warning labels that I've ran across lately. There are some really odd warning labels out there. I wanted, thought I'd share with you a couple that I've seen or heard lately. Um, on a can of self-defense pepper spray is this warning label. Caution, may irritate your eyes. I hope so, you know. On a child-sized Superman costume, wearing of this garment does not enable you to fly. <laughs> These are true, by the way. I'm, on a child, or, or I just read that one. Um, on a portable stroller, remove infant before folding for storage. <laughs> I guess if you forget, the child will remind you. Uh, uh, this is my favorite one. On a wheel, wheelbarrow, not intended for highway use. <laughs> I just have this vision of this guy running down the highway about 25 miles an hour with a wheelbarrow. Uh, warning label on a dishwasher. Do not allow children to play in dishwasher. <laughs> and on a Chipotle truck, notice driver does not carry burritos. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I was going to hijack that truck and get, get about 100,000 burritos, you know. Now, there are some more serious warning signs. At least they're serious to me, okay, when I read them. One would be danger, sharp curves ahead. That would be, I'd pay attention to that one. Um, this one always gets my attention. Beware of ice on roads. This one we learned to take seriously when we were ministering in Montana. Deer crossing, danger. Uh, we see this uh, when we go through the, the uh, passes here. Danger, falling rocks. I always tend to look that way when I see that. Um, high voltage, caution. That gets my attention. Warning, hot surface. That also gets my attention. And then there is the ever-present one-way street. I think all of us kind of perk up when we see that one. They get our attention. Well, in the passage that we're going to look at today is contained the most important warning sign in all of the Bible and in all of history. I'm not um, exaggerating, and you'll see why here in a minute. But we're going to, I'm going to read this passage, see if you can pull it out as I read it. So as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert where your fathers tested and tried me and for 40 years I uh, saw what I did. That is why I was angry with them, with that generation, and I said their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest." See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if 
we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. As has just been said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Okay, just throw it out to me. What's the warning? Don't harden your heart. Right. Mentioned in one form or another four times in this passage. Um, It's the most serious warning that could ever be given to anyone on this earth. Because really, there are only two destinations. There are a lot of nationalities and colors and creeds and, and different kinds of people. But there are only really two groups, those who are going to heaven and those who are not. And this warning has to do with not hardening your heart to the gospel. Not hardening your heart or not me hardening my heart to the gospel. And remember something here, you guys. This is written to us through this New Testament church. Okay? It's written to those of us in the church not to harden our hearts. Okay? to Jesus Christ, but to persevere no matter what trials we're in, no matter what difficulties we're in, no matter what challenges we are confronted with, no matter whether we're persecuted or not, we are told, commanded, challenged, encouraged, exhorted not to harden our hearts. It's something that we do and can do. I like the way that... um, John MacArthur, in his commentary on Hebrews, uh, states this. He says, the warning here is to those who know the gospel. And by know, he means upstairs, cerebrally. Who affirm its truth, but who, because of love of sin or fear of persecution or whatever it may be, have not committed themselves to the truth they know is real. It is as if there were a fire in a hotel, and they are on the 10th floor, because there is a net below, the firemen are yelling, jump, but they don't jump. They hesitate. They are well aware of the danger that they know the net is their only way of escape, but they do not act on what they know is true and necessary. They are concerned about saving some of their possessions, or perhaps they think that somehow they can find another way out. They may be afraid of being hurt from the fall. Some might even be concerned about how they would look while jumping afraid of embarrassment. But the point is, simply knowing about the danger and knowing about the way out of it will not save them. If they do not jump, they will die. When your very life is at stake, nothing else should matter. And I like this. This is important. The writer of the Hebrews, under the Spirit's leading, has great concern for his fellow Jews who are in this predicament. And I want you to know that I'm preaching today a hard text but I hope you sense it's out of concern, okay? But they have heard the gospel, some of them from the mouth of an apostle, but for various reasons they hold back from commitment. Some apparently had made a profession of faith or had given some statement of confidence in Christ, but were beginning to fall back. 
And when they, started getting, then they, when they started getting ridiculed by their friends, they began to waver, hesitate. They were not willing to throw their whole weight on Jesus. And as a result, they became apostate. Knowing the truth, they willingly and intentionally turned away from it. And that's why he is so concerned that they aren't going to be persevering in their Christian faith. And so he writes them this text. Now the backdrop. The backdrop of which you would be familiar with if you've studied the Bible at all, and which was very familiar to these professing Jewish believers, is the great deliverance, what's called the Exodus, where over 1,500,000 Israelites uh, were taken out of slavery in Egypt and into the desert, ultimately to be led into the promised land by Moses. Now, a lot of things led up to it, and a lot of things happened while it was happening, but it was all a miraculous act of God to get these Israelites out of Egypt and into the promised land. A lot of miracles happened to enable it to happen. It, had, it started with the 10 plagues to force Pharaoh to loosen his grip on the Israelites. And it culminated with the killing of the firstborn when he finally said, uncle, I'm done being stubborn and let the Israelites go. Then they were led with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And upon reaching the Red Sea, and by the way, I, did, I, I have to profess ignorance. I didn't, I've always thought of the Red Sea as kind of an oversized lake. And I don't know why. I just, I never thought about the dimensions of it, so I thought I'd look it up. Look it up. And the Red Sea is a body of water 1,400 miles long, 221 miles wide, with an average depth of 1,610 feet, a surface area of 169,100 square miles and a volume of water 56,000 cubic miles. That's a big, big lake, you know. And so their backs are now against the Red Sea. And then, of course, God empowers Moses to wave his hand and split the Red Sea, and they scamper through to the other side, and Pharaoh's army chases them in, and when they're just nice and in the middle of it all, God commands Moses, and he waves his arm, and they're engulfed by the Red Sea, and they're all, they all die. And there was great praise among the Israelites. You know, there, there was a praise service there going on. And then God provided for all their needs on their journey. They got manna. They got quail. They got all the water they needed. They got victory over their enemies. But interestingly enough, in spite of all those miracles, uh, the, the praise and the good times didn't last very long, did it? In fact, after their deliverance and while experiencing some doubts and delays and disappointments, they started to harden their hearts towards God in unbelief. And in the end, after 40 years, only two of the original group entered into the promised land, Caleb and Joshua, because they were so full of unbelief and because their hearts were so hardened. Okay? And here's what they showed us, guys. This is what the Israelites show us. And it's part of the warning that we get today as God is, through the Holy Spirit, uh, uh, speaking to you and I in the New Testament church, through this church in this little Jewish believer church in Italy, this is what, what he's saying to us, okay? That it's possible to begin well, but to get impatient or disappointed or disillusioned with God, and as a result, end poorly by hardening your heart against God in unbelief. Now, that's not an attractive statement, and it's not a, a happy-sounding statement, 
But I want to tell you something. The warning that we're going to talk about today is born out of the love of God for you and me. Can I get a little answer, a little witness, a little amen? All right. I know it's colder than it was last week, but come on. You can still give me an amen now and again. The whole idea here that's weighing so heavily on the writer to the Hebrews, and we don't know who that person is, and what makes him so afraid is that some of these professing believers, these Hebrew believers, and there might be a smattering of Gentiles in the church too, that, 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 that they have begun to harden their heart because they're, they're undergoing trials and doubts and they're getting slapped around for being Christians, okay, for receiving Christ. They're experiencing trials and troubles. And um, they were hardening their hearts to Jesus and dropping out and going back to their old religious ways, their old false ways. And he doesn't want their hearts to be hardened because here's the deal. Um, We cannot lose our salvation once we have it. The Bible does not teach that. But the point is, and I said this last week numerable times, the point is whether you have it to begin with. It's not how you start, it's how you finish. And if you harden your heart, if I harden my heart, then it proves that maybe our conversion experience wasn't real to begin with. It's not how you start, it's how you finish. Okay, and by the way, this is a fascinating thing, and we'll get into uh, the meat of the text here in just a moment. I didn't know this, I should have known it, I guess, but I didn't know it, that this warning here, do not harden your heart, that was the call to worship for the synagogue every Sabbath. Every Sabbath, this was the call to worship in every Jewish synagogue. When they started the, uh, the, the service, it would be, do not harden your heart, as in the days of the rebellion. Do not harden your heart in the days of rebellion. Every week, every month, every year, every decade, same thing. Do not harden your heart in the day, uh, in the day of, of testing, in the uh, wilderness. That was a call to worship. Don't let your heart be hardened against God and Christ when trials, traumas, temptations, testings, or tribulation in the form of persecution enter your life like these people. Beware of the soul-destroying sin of hardness of heart. Wow. That was an eye-opener for me. Okay, title of the message today is, guess, do not harden your heart. (laughs) We don't get too high-tech around here, all right? The title of the message today is, do not harden your heart. And I want to talk about five ways why this warning is so important from this text. Why is it so important to pay attention to this? Because it's born out of love. We're not here to go on a witch hunt or to be fruit inspectors of everybody's life. We're here so that we don't have a false assurance, but a true assurance of having a pliable, soft heart before the Lord all the way to the end of our Christian life. Amen? That's what we want. So this is a message of love with a real sharp point. (laughs) Okay, why is this such an important warning, do not harden your heart? First of all, because it is a relevant warning. Or I wrestled with these two, a possible warning. And you say, well, why do you call it a relevant warning or a possible warning? Because it's written 
not only to ancient Israel, not only to the believing Jews uh, that uh, made up the church in this town in Italy, but to you and to me. This is our New Testament. It's relevant to us, it's possible. Let's go to the first verse. So as the Holy Spirit says today if, what's the next verse everybody? I'm not, it's not a trick question, it really isn't. So as the Holy Spirit says today if what? You, you. Is that right? We're going off my version, right? All right. If you hear his voice, you. Now, I don't have a fantastic command of the Greek language. I did study it when we were in seminary, but I know enough about Greek to know that this most likely is in the plural. It's you, you guys and me, us, the church, okay? God is telling all of us all of us, so as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, church, if you hear his voice, and here's what God is doing. He's talking to you and me. And let's not get offended by that. Let's not say, well, I received Christ when I was such and such an age, and I prayed this prayer, and that may well have been your salvation experience, but what he's trying to tell those of us in the church is the jury's still out until we get to the end of our Christian life. Because it's not how we start, it's how we finish. And unfortunately, the attrition rate amongst professing believers is a lot higher than we think. Unfortunately, I say that with a broken heart. As a pastor of a few years, okay, how about a few decades? I realize most of you were not even born when I started pastoring, which I like, by the way. I love seeing young people here, amen? Amen. We're getting more young people here, it's exciting. I guess just to me, but it's exciting. But I've been around long enough to see what can happen over time, and it's very distressing. And so he writes this and he says, so as the Holy Spirit says today, if you, church, you, yes, it's possible, it's relevant to you, don't point to the other person, point at yourself. Not in self-condemnation, no. God loves us, he wants us assured of our salvation, but he wants us to continue on till the end until either we pass away and go to be with Jesus or he returns first. I like the second alternative better. Very important, very important. It's relevant to us. Let's not brush this off to somebody else because as far as I know, no one in here is dead. And until we're dead, the jury's still out. And I don't want that to sound offensive, but it's true. Because we don't know what lies ahead, do we? We don't know what circumstances, what mountaintops, what valleys, what challenges, what discouragements, what joys, what successes, what failures. And so we have to remember this is a relevant warning. Do not harden your heart. Let's go to the second one. If you're counting, there are five. Second one, it's not only a relevant warning, it's a divine warning. Let's look back at verse seven. So as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Who says it? The Holy Spirit. 
You know, remember that commercial? Some of you would be old enough to remember this. Now I'm showing my age. Remember that little E.F. Hutton commercial? Oh, crickets. Now I, re- now I really feel old. Who remembers the old E.F. Hutton commercial? Thank you. Where it's, uh, there's like a, a restaurant and there's talking and clattering and everybody's talking and then somebody says some, the name E.F. Hutton. It was an investment company. And somebody says E.F. Hutton and the whole place goes silent because everybody wants to hear what E.F. Hutton says. And the, the, the little jingle at the end of the little saying is, when E.F. Hutton talks, people listen. It's the last time I used an illustration that old. <laughs> what a waste of time that was. But anyway, it's the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit talks, we ought to listen. Listen, all, I had Debbie look it up for me. I said, Deb, would you look up, she was in the computer, I said, would you look up how many warnings there are in the Bible? And she, I heard her, she's, and she said, I don't know, it won't say. It says there are warnings in this group, and there are warnings in this kind of group, and there are warnings in this kind of area, but they don't say how many altogether. There was dozens and maybe even hundreds of warnings. But I'll tell you what, not all of them are prefaced by the Holy Spirit says. So when the Holy Spirit says something, our ears ought to perk up. It's a third person of the Trinity. This is God in the person of the Holy Spirit. And what is he saying? Don't harden your heart. It's a a divine warning. Well, listen to this. And the warning here, again, you'll hear this about 10 times before I'm done today because I'm a repetitive teacher. I just, it's just the way I am. The warning is to keep professing believers here from becoming like Israel during the Exodus who disobeyed, excuse me, and rejected God through unbelief and sin when things didn't go their way in their time. If you want it in modern idiom, the Holy Spirit's trying to keep us from taking our cookies and going home spiritually. The Holy Spirit was warning them and us not to be like those Israelites wandering in the desert who initially looked like they made a decision, but they really never made a commitment. There's a big difference. I'm not interested in your decision for Christ. I mean, I hope and pray and rejoice in the fact if you made an authentic one, okay? But I want to know about yours and my commitment to Christ to the very end. It's a difference. The Holy Spirit is saying to these Hebrew believers and to you and I, don't harden your heart, but hear today and do today what God wants you to do until Jesus returns or you go to be with him first, whichever comes first. Don't be like the children of Israel who saw much, so much proof when you think of that, the Red Sea going up, just like the movie, you know? And you see a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night and all of a sudden you see um, fresh maple glazed donuts on the ground (laughs) whenever you want them. And quail, roasted quail. This is the wrong time to be talking about that, I think, (laughs) right before lunch. You see all of this and all the victories and water coming out of a rock as much as you need. And they saw all that. But don't be like the children of Israel who see so much proof of God's power and, and love and care over an extended period of time, 40 years, but refuse to truly believe in Christ. And yet it happens with sickening regularity. 
Because people, sometimes no matter what they see, feel, hear, think, and, and experience, they never really truly change in their heart. And they can darken the door of a church their whole life and be that way. And I, for one, do not want to be one of those people. You say, well, you're a pastor, so? There's some pastors that are going to bust hell wide open. And I don't want to be one of them. You say, you sound pretty insecure. No, I'm not insecure. I'm just trying to do what the Bible says. Be true to Christ till the very, very end. And so we should not harden our heart. This is a, an important warning. It's a, it's a, um, a relevant warning. And it's, it's a, a divine warning. And thirdly, it's an urgent warning. Look at verse seven and verse 15. So as the Holy Spirit says, what's the next word, class? It's not hard, it starts with a T, ends with a Y. Today, my goodness. What's the word, everybody? Thank you. Hey, don't come into my sermons thinking you're not going to participate. I, I could just tell you that right now. Today, and then verse 15. Today, not tomorrow. You know why he doesn't, you know why he doesn't say tomorrow? Do not harden your hearts? Because today's turn into what? Tomorrow's. And what do tomorrow's turn in? The next days. And what do the next days turn into? The next days. And what do the next days turn into? A lifetime. You've all seen it. Okay? Life ha- Is anybody noticing how fast life happens? Is it just me? Is it just being older? Yep, thank you for that encouragement. <laughs> but it's like I have a birthday and then two weeks later, it's my birthday. <laughs> I can't believe I'm this old. <laughs> You know, I was looking at my arm the other day. I said, Debbie, look at my arm. That's how, that looks like an old man's arm. It's got all kinds of spots and wrinkles. It's sagging. It's like, what's wrong with my arm? I won't tell you what she said, but uh, no, she didn't say anything. But yeah, it's, it goes so fast. And that's why it's saying today, Today, don't harden your heart. Because if you don't harden your heart today and you get into the word of God and you get into prayer and you stay at church and you go to a community group and you do all the things you know you need, you ought to be doing if you can, every day, then hardness of heart doesn't happen. But you know and I know and we all know people who start drifting, don't we? And they start, well, yeah, I was busy that Sunday. And then that Sunday turns into a month of Sundays and a month of Sundays turn into. And I'm not saying they aren't Christians. I am not the Holy Spirit. I am not gonna judge anybody, but I'd rather stay as close to him as I can rather than drift away from him. I don't wanna open myself up to the danger. Today, Today, sin happens fast. Unbelief happens fast. Bitterness happens fast, doesn't it? Bitterness, resentment can spoil the whole life. Now I hear people, oh, you know, I've been a Christian 40 years. I'm thinking, no, you haven't. You've been a Christian one year 40 times because you're bitter. Bitter. 
Gotta be careful. Life can strangle you if you're not careful. It can harden your heart. If you've heard the truth of Jesus Christ and you've received him as Lord and Savior of your life and you understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, don't do what Israel did when she knew God's truth and saw him work. They hardened their heart because of their sin, their disappointment, their unbelief, even though they would have been considered one of God's people in the desert at the time. You say, well, you're saying we can lose our salvation. No, I'm not. I'm saying the point is, do we ever have it to begin with? If we persevere, we do. If we harden our hearts, we don't. Why guess at it? I say this, I hope, without getting too worked up about it. There's going to be a lot of surprise people at the judgment day. Just a lot of surprise. I thought, Lord, didn't I do works of deliverance and cast out demons and prophesy and preach good sermons and serve on in this area? And he'll say, I never knew you. Okay. So the idea to the Hebrews was make a commitment to Christ. Make it now and stay there. Stay there. Otherwise, you may have found yourself passing the point of no return and not being let into God's rest. Okay? So, it is an urgent warning. Stay close to God. Okay? God knows when we're playing Christianity the wrong way. God knows when we're, we're, it's churchianity and not Christianity. God knows when we're just talking Christianese but our hearts aren't truly saved. He knows that. And so we need to exercise our will not to harden our hearts to God and to Jesus. Because today, again, it bears repeating, today can pass quickly into eternity. We can callous ourselves to God on the inside and nobody knows on the outside. Hearts get harder the longer we take to fully devote our lives to Christ. Okay. Do it while your heart's still soft. Commit your life to Christ while you're still wet cement. While you're still wet cement. Does that make sense, that metaphor, that analogy? Number four, do not harden your hearts is a relevant warning. It's a divine warning. It's an urgent warning. This is written to the church. And fourth, it is a historical warning. God is kind enough, gracious enough to give us an example, right? We have an example, right? You know, we all, we'll talk with someone and we'll talk about this and that. For example, and then it becomes clearer. This warning is grounded in Israel and in, in its historical example. The context, as we've already, is during Israel's 40-year period of wandering in the desert. And after being brutalized by the Egyptians uh, as slaves, God freed the Jews under Moses' leadership. And after their miraculous deliverance, God kept blessing them with miracles in the wilderness. I, I say that because we get miracles too. What's the greatest miracle of all? Getting saved. Who said that? Free meal at the next church potluck. <laughs> That's an old dusty line I use all the time. But you, being born again is the greatest miracle of all. 
It's a greater miracle than creation, than healing, being born again, taking someone who just is totally opposite God and invading their spirit with the Holy Spirit, cleansing us of our sin, rising us from the dead spiritually and ultimately giving us new bodies in heaven. That's the greatest miracle of all. We've seen miracles. This whole church is a, is a, is, is a picture of miracle after miracle after miracle. My life is a miracle. I only want to tell you the direction I was headed before I came to know the Lord. I'd be embarrassed to. I can't believe God saved me. It's a miracle. So you say, well, they saw a pillar of a cloud and they saw a pillar of fire, which would have been really cool, by the way. And all that, and then quail, and I've been hunting for 20 years, I've never hit a quail, and then all of a sudden 500 quails fall in my yard, you know. They've had all kinds of miracles. But I think the greatest miracle is sitting in this church right now. We've seen miracles. And I've had the privilege of being in on a few healings, not many, and those are miracles. We've seen miracles. Okay, and so did they. But here's the problem. Some people could never see enough. They're cursed by their own unbelief. The Pharisees were that way, weren't they? Jesus, we just need one more sign, one more sign, one more sign. Jesus said, you know what? I'm tired of giving you signs. No amount of signs will convince you. You are a negative uh, unbeliever. I was reading about uh, Robert Fulton, the inventor, he invented the steamboat, like the paddle wheel steamboat thing. You ever seen one of those up close? Ever been on one of those? We were fortunate enough to be on one of those steamboats in Hannibal, Missouri, when we were back in Missouri, and um, pretty, pretty impressive. And I think it was one of the, where are you, dear? It was one of the smaller ones, too. It wasn't one of the massive, gargantuan ones. It was pretty impressive. Anyway, so, so he, he invented, this, among other things, a steamboat, and when he brought it to the shore to test it out, people gathered. They gathered on the shore, and, this, and they started a chant. And the chant was, it'll never start, it'll never start, it'll never start. And then when it all start, it started and began to move, they changed the chant to, it'll never stop, it'll never stop, it'll never stop. And that's what these Israelites were. No amount of proof was good enough for all but two of the original 1,500,000, if you can believe it. I want to be one of the two. How about you? Well, then we have to believe and trust and commit our lives to Christ all the way to the last moment. Here's what gets in the way of that. It's getting what I would call a spiritual heart condition. A spiritual heart condition of unbelief and, and disobedience and ingratitude and bitterness when difficulties or persecutions come. Spiritual heart condition. And our hearts get rough and they get calloused. And we've all seen it. Somebody gets hurt. Well, that's the way God's gonna, you know, and. Oh, there was a splash for a while, and then something happens, and they slowly begin to go away. Well, if that's how God's gonna, whew, that scares the daylight out of me. It really does. 
And hearts get calloused, just like these Israelites. And they showed that they never truly believed in the first place because they didn't persevere. And they tested God, and they rebelled against God. And God don't do that. He doesn't take that. The Old Testament says rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. When we rebel against God, when we act in unbelief against God, the Bible equates that with witchcraft. I know these are strong words, but I'm hopefully, lovingly challenging all of us to say I am going to be fully committed to Christ to the very last breath I inhale. Or Christ comes first. And so we see here, both in the Old Testament and also in the New Testament, that unbelief never has enough proof. And when you keep pushing the proofs of God away and the convictions of God away, the heart gets calloused. It gets hard to the point where we can't believe. We not only don't believe, we can't believe. And it's interesting, if you look at verse nine, it says, it was a time of testing and rebellion in the desert where your fathers tested and tried me. Tested and tried me, and for 40 years saw what I did. And because of their unbelief, God became angry with them. Verse 10, this is why I was angry with that generation, and I said, their hearts are always going astray. They have not known my ways, so I declared on oath in my anger they shall never enter my rest. That word anger means vexed, incensed, or to loathe something. Kent Hughes puts it this way, such turning away incurs a huge penalty because Christ is greater than Moses. The loss incurred in rejecting Christ is greater than the loss in rejecting Moses. The rebels in Moses' day missed the promised blessing of entry into earthly Canaan, but rebelled against Christ, rebellion against Christ forfeits the even greater blessings of eternal life. To turn away from the living God is a huge mistake, for as Hebrews later warns in chapter 10, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The author of Hebrews does not think that this is a remote possibility for his suffering little church, but a a real and present peril. If we are wise, we will share the same regard for our souls. And the result was they didn't enter into God's rest. And you guys, I have studied this and studied it and studied it, and I've read and listened to people far wiser and smarter and I guess more successful, if you want to use that word, than I am. And I have got to come down. This is not, although as a secondary application, it's true. If we practice unbelief and doubt towards God as Christians, we're not going to experience the Holy Spirit rest that he wants to give us on a daily basis, right? If we're going to harbor sin without repentance and regret and confession, not to say we're sinless, but then we're going to have a miserable Christian life. And that's certainly a secondary application, but the primary application of this is very clear. To harden your heart is proof that you were never saved to begin with. But to persevere is proof that you were saved. You can't lose your salvation. The question is, do we ever have it? How do we know we have it? We persevere to the very end. 
Okay? Let's go to the final one here. Because I want to, how do we get, how do we protect ourselves? Okay? Um, do not harden your hearts is a relevant, divine, urgent, historical warning. And fifthly, it's a preventable warning. Look at verse 12. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. As has just been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the, de- in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter into his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter, excuse me, because of their unbelief. So how do we not get a hardened heart? How do we keep our hearts from getting hardened? Well, first of all, realize the seriousness of, a, of stubborn unbelief. The seriousness of stu- stubborn unbelief. See, we could stand and we can sing our choruses and our hymns or whatever they are and, and we, can, we can do this and do that in the church and you know, whatever we do and inside be going, no. 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 And I'm not saying any of you do that, but it can be done. We need to exercise great caution. Right? Great caution. You look at verse 12, it says, see to it, brothers. See to it, brothers. He's calling these people brothers because he doesn't know who is and who ain't. Just like the parable of the wheat and the tares, we won't know till the last day. Jesus says. They're indistinguishable to a certain point. See to it. Realize the seriousness of stubborn unbelief way down inside and make sure Christ is Lord of our lives. Exercise great caution. Don't let the heart as a fart take you by surprise. Practice healthy, spiritual self-examination and watchfulness. Let, we don't let us get flippant. We don't know what's ahead. Not insecure, but not flippant. Ask ourselves, is there fruit keeping with repentance? Am I open and honest with God regarding my doubts and struggles? Am I or am I not manifesting the fruit of a saved life? Not perfection, not no failure, not no sin, but the fruits of a truly saved life. Or am I playing a secret game, resisting inside, but looking fine outside? And I say these in love because I don't want any of us to get before the Lord Jesus and hear anything but well done, thou good and faithful servant. I mean, the greatest sin in the world is still unbelief. Gotta be careful with that one. So realize the seriousness of stubborn unbelief. See to it, the writer says, and then encourage one another. Isn't that interesting in verse 13? Encourage one another. The meaning is to come alongside and give help. Get alongside of it. That's I'm, I'm so fun to see you here today. Because this is what keeps us from hardening our hearts. Being with each other here in community group and prayer meeting or whatever else happens. Come. Give, give help to each other. Encourage each other. How's your walk with God going? 
Get alongside each other. Help each other persevere. Share, hey, can you share with me how you came to know the Lord? How's your walk going now? Encourage each other. And then don't be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Look at verse 13 again. But encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. You know, sin is like seawater claiming to quench our thirst. Looks good, looks, looks drinkable, but it'll kill you. It'll kill you. It'll harden a heart. Sin will harden a heart. Okay? Don't be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. If you are wrapped up in the tentacles of sin right now, then ask God to help you break free before your heart is hardened. Now we all struggle with sin, don't get me wrong, but we need a daily repentance, right? So our hearts don't get hardened. You know, sin is the ultimate bait and switch. It advertises, but it never delivers. It just binds us tighter and tighter and tighter until maybe I like this better than I like God. You know, sin advertises freedom and results in our slavery. Sin portrays Christianity as boring and unfulfilling while saying it will liberate and satisfy us, but it never does. Sin fools us into thinking we're getting what we want and then leaves us empty, hardened, and callous if we're not careful. And then third, persevere. Persevere. Pull that foot out of the muck, stick it in front of your other foot, and then pull that foot out of the muck and stick it in front of that foot until Christ returns or you go to be with him. Persevere. It says it right here, verse 14. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. Started out with a bang. Let's keep going with a bang. Persevere. The true believer stays with Christ through the hills and valleys. The false believer says, I've had enough. Just like the Israelites. And then finally, determined to beat the odds. Caleb and Joshua, two out of a million five hundred thousand. That's pretty, pretty big odds. <laughs> Whoa. Let's beat the odds. Let's beat the odds. The vast, okay, verse 16. Just to show you I'm not making that up. Today, if you hear your voice, verse 15, do not harden your hearts as you did in the day of rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? All is a lot. Beat the odds. Say, Lord, help me persevere. Get in that word. Stay there. Get into prayer. Get at church. Persevere. Repent. Because we love God. And no matter what amount of persecution we have, by the grace of God, we're gonna stick with Jesus. Because the greatest proof of salvation is not feelings, it's continuing on. It's continuing on. Persevere. Determined to beat the odds. And I love verses 16 through 19 with these last scriptures. Um, who were they who heard and rebelled? And this had to be written by a Jewish mother. I'm convinced of it. Because it's all questions. Or at least a Jew. 
Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all Moses? Led out of Egypt, and with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Okay, funny stuff over. Ask these questions the rest of your life, and you'll stay true to Christ. Okay. So, what this whole warning teaches us is that when it comes to our faith in Christ, it is possible to begin, to begin well and end poorly. Okay, so, the warning. Do not harden our hearts so that the horrible sin of unbelief will never happen to us and we will prove our salvation genuine. It's a loving warning. It's a warning to the church, to me, to you, to all of us. Okay? And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I would encourage you to turn your life over to him with a genuine repentance and trust in his blood atonement on the cross for your sins, his bodily resurrection from the grave, and his desire to indwell you for all of eternity. And if you've done that, persevere. Don't harden your hearts because that's what God wants for us. Amen? Let's, let's, let's stand and we'll pray. Heavenly Father, you are such a good parent. And good parents discipline and challenge and sometimes just have to say hard things to their kids because they love them, not because they're trying to make them miserable. Thank you for uh, just challenging us with the truth because you don't want us to be people on the left. You want us to be people on the right. And I pray, Lord God, and I include myself in this prayer, if any of us would ever be in danger of hardening our hearts, Lord, soften our hearts and give us the grace to release ourselves to Jesus Christ and make him boss, ruler, controller, leader, guider, director, and Lord of our life until the very, very last breath we exhale. If anyone's playing a game here this morning, maybe they didn't even know it. Maybe they never truly did give their life to you. Or maybe they're thinking about throwing in the towel and bailing out because life's getting hard and it's been challenging and difficult. Give them the strength to reconfirm their commitment, not their decision, but their commitment to Jesus Christ. And we pray with them and we pray for each other and we praise you in Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed.